Hey, I'm Caressa. Hey, I'm Maddie. You're not watching the Disney Channel right now. You're listening to Dreadfully Dreadfully Twisted. Twisted. So I, we are so sorry that we've been so yeah. Life has gotten in the way. Uh, my sister um. just got married last weekend, so I was preparing for that, and I, it was insane. Uh, <laughs> so I, we are sorry. Yeah, we that. are very sorry. But to make up for it, I have a really insane, crazy, well, it's not really crazy, but it's very bleak and sad. Yeah. So we're just going to jump right into it, because there's no way to, like introduce this because it's very it's very it's very bleak but there is a survivor so that makes it very good that makes it better good so we're gonna start out in september of 2005 the conrad slash doan family was a picture picture perfect if i can talk (laughs) picture talking is hard it's very hard let's start that over the conrad doan family was a picture (laughs) i can't say picture a picture perfect family who all had happy lives they lived on a farm in pampa texas brian conrad was 31 michelle conrad was 35 zach doan was 14 and robin doan was 10 they had a family dog named molly september (laughs) talking is hard oh my i'm having struggling (laughs) i am very struggling okay september 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 (laughs) september 29th, 2005, was like any normal day. Brian woke up and made them pancakes for breakfast. Michelle was five months pregnant, so went home. So went home. That makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) The amount of times I've done that. (laughs) I also wrote this like two weeks ago. (laughs) Okay. Michelle was five months pregnant, so when everyone was home from school... She was showing everyone, like, Robin and Zach, her maternity clothes that she was trying on because she was pregnant. So, she was, like, trying on these cute clothes. Mm-hmm. Well, they were not cute because Robin was, like, these are, like, not that cute. Yeah. But, <laughs> so, it was, like, a normal day. And then the next day, September 30th, would, everything would change. However, before I get to that, I want to talk about who they were as people. They were described as a picture-perfect family, like I've said before. Everyone loved them in the town. Brian Conrad was born May 2nd, 1974 in Abilene, Jane County, Texas. I apologize if I said that completely wrong. Um, He graduated from Cleburne High School, then studied farm and ranch management, and later graduated from Oklahoma Panhandle State University with a degree in agriculture. He then moved to Pampa to operate the family farm and ranch. He served as a director of the Gray County Farm Bureau and was also a member of the Briarwood Briarwood Full Gospel Church. Uh, Michelle um, Sutterith Conrad was born October 1st, 1969 in Grand Prairie, Dallas County, Texas. She graduated in 1989 from Pampa High School. Michelle worked for the Gray County Farm Bureau for 10 years, just like brian was i'm guessing that's how they met um she was involved in the pampa optimist club and was a member of the briar wood briarwood full gospel church 
Brian and Michelle got married January 17th of 2003. Zachary Ryan Doan was born August 20th, 1991 in Pampa, Texas. He enjoyed being with his friends, playing basketball, running track, and air rifle shooting. He loved music and was part of the Briarwood Gospel Church Choir. And then Robin Doan was 10 years old. There's not much said about her, but you'll see why. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> um, not yet, anyway. Yeah. I won't talk about her yet. Um, September 30th, 2005, a 911 operator receives a phone call from 10-year-old Robin Doan. Are you okay with me playing the 911 call, or are you, like... Oh, no, go ahead. You're fine? Okay. Yeah. So, if anybody does not like 911 phone calls, because I know some people don't yeah. like to listen to them... I would skip ahead probably about two minutes because I'm going to play yeah. it. Yeah, it could be disturbing for some listeners. So, it could be. yeah. So, just let me pull it up. Um, and, like I said, you're going to want to skip about like a minute 50 or just be safe, just do two minutes. Um, <clears throat> but here we go. I got to wait for the ad to play. Ma'am, there was a shootout in my house. Sheriff's Office, 911. listen to the full thing and i just like started tearing up just then it's so sad <laughs> it oh is very God. sad um obviously you can tell that she's the survivor at this point um and it's also like just imagine being a 911 operator i know Ugh. and like having to take those calls and having to be calm whenever mm. you know like the worst things happening to yeah. the people um it's so sad she was like i just want my blanket my pillow and then she was like i want my mom it's so sad and it's like amazing how she was able to know the miles to her house from Mm -hmm. landmarks and describe everything like she did on the call especially for only being 10 years old at this time and being completely distraught like you can hear she's crying Mm -hmm. and it's just like i couldn't do that nope nope me (laughs) (laughs) whenever i got hit rear-ended like three weeks ago i panicked and i didn't know what to do (laughs) so just like 
it's gonna get even crazier yeah oh oh man <laughs> it's gonna get even crazier but after the 911 call that just played um the operator dispatches a patrol unit while while robin was still on the phone you heard her saying that they were getting there the officers rushed to the scene not knowing what was going on or what they were going into at this point they just know like they have to get to this house you just tell how scared she is and the phone call is just so heartbreaking uh, but the officers got there at 7.24 that morning. Robin was sitting on the tailgate of Brian's truck and ran to the first officer she saw, who was Officer Trad- Chad Brooks. She was very distraught, but she was able to tell him in complete detail of what was going on and what she heard that morning. Chad Brooks, before he found out what Robin said she heard, um, he said that he had no idea what happened and his first thought was to keep her safe and protect her he puts her in the police car because they are in the middle of nowhere (laughs) and they have to search the house so he's like what do i do with her so he just puts her in the police car and locks the doors he joined the other officers and searches the house the east door to the house was kicked in and everything seemed to be in place the coffee was set to turn on the next morning nothing was stolen or out of place and like that is just like a terrifying fact like the coffee was set to turn on the next morning yeah because jeremy does that with us he sets the coffee to turn Mm -hmm. on the next morning so like it was just like they were just living their lives yeah and then like it's just uh, this this case hit me so hard whenever i found out about it and i was like i can't get off my mind yeah i like it's like one of those that stick with i was like i have to talk about this because like one it's just it's amazing Mm -hmm. like you'll find out later why i'm saying that but like and it's also it just hit me like it was just like uh like there's so many like signs in this because like you'll find out later but september 30th is jeremy and i's anniversary so that's one so like it's just like the numbers thing Mm -hmm. and then like it just like i don't know i just felt connected to the case even though like i'm not even related to it you know Mm -hmm. like it just like i felt like i had to talk about yeah (laughs) okay anyway so when they got to the master bedroom they found brian conrad shot three times pregnant michelle conrad shot six times they went to zach's room and found him shot three times and a fair warning the next one's about an animal, and I'm already tearing up. <laughs> oh, no. And even the dog, Molly, was shot two times. Oh, my gosh. I'm crying. <laughs> I'm literally <laughs> crying right now. I can't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In Robin's room, they found two shell casings. One hit the drawer next to her bed. Robin was unharmed. They found 15 shell casings in total, along with some shoe prints and tire tracks. Investigating the house gave them no sign of who could have done this, but they were able to come to the conclusion that Robin was the only survivor. Once they searched the house, the one deputy told Officer Brooks to go be with Robin. Once he got back to her, he asked her if there's anything he could do for her, and she responded that she wanted to feed her animals because they lived on a farm. So all she wanted to do was just take care of her animals because she wanted to get Aww. everything off her mind. Um, the Conrads were so loved. Everyone admired them. They cared so much for others. Um, after she fed her animals and she was able to tell Chad Brooks what happened, what she heard, then they took Robin to the Bridge Children Advocacy Center, and she was put in a room with microphones and a camera. A woman was talking to her. I couldn't find the woman's name. I was looking mm. on, like, different websites and everything. I couldn't find out her name. But a woman was talking to her, trying to get information from her. Robin was upset and scared, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Robin said that morning. <clears throat> My throat just, like, <laughs> decided not to talk. <sighs> Robin said that morning that she was having a nightmare in the dream and she heard gunshots but when she woke up the gunshots didn't end and she realized they were actually going on in her house 
She asked how many shots, like the woman asked Robin how many shots she had heard and her answer was 15 with no hesitation. So she heard all 15 shots. Wow. And she heard her mom screaming and stuff too. So like it's just... Robin also stated that she saw a flash for every shot that was taken. She also said that she saw a white face and white eyes. Robin stated that she also had to lay there for two to three hours, play, pretending to be dead, laying her in her bed, waiting for the intruder to leave. Well, that's terrifying and sad at the same time. Yeah, she, I can't even, like, imagine. A 10-year-old girl. Yeah. She's going to be traumatized for the rest of her life. Laid there for two to three hours, waiting for him to leave. Because he was going through their house. He was going through the, the cupboards. She could hear him. And she was terrified of what he would do if he found that she was still alive. Because mm-hmm. he thought he killed her. Well, I'm glad that she did that. Because yeah, like, like I, she's I, a smart girl. That she is really very is. smart. Because I don't, if I was 10 years old, I'd be just freaking out. I'd be I running out the door and I'd probably end up shut. <laughs> yeah, like, we're not trying to make jokes here. No. Like, <laughs> it's just how smart and how, like, quick she was to act yeah. and to think is just amazing and at that's, 10 years old i wouldn't be able to do that i would remember <laughs> remember when i was 10 years old <laughs> oh, but anyway to go back to the sadness here while this was happening in texas something similar all too similar was happening in missouri which is weird because that's like 14 hours away yeah um before i get into the crime in missouri i want to talk about orly mccool and don mccool Orly McCool was born February 23rd, 1935 in Jane McDonald County. He was 70 years old. He graduated from high school in Wichita, Kansas, and entered into the U.S. Army. I am sorry if I say any towns or anything wrong. <laughs> I can't talk. Same. <clears throat> I'm not good at pronouncing words. <laughs> Me either. I'm just like, I'm going to try it. Yeah. Okay. In 1965, he went to language school at Monterey, California and served in Japan. He attended the Grantham School of Electronics in Kansas City, Missouri, and owned and operated an electronics store in Neosho until 1974. Then Orly moved to Shell Knob, Missouri, and operated a restaurant. In February 1984, he opened the Steakout, Steakout, Steakout <laughs> restaurant in Jane. He sold it in July of 2005. Laura Dawn McCool, that's what her obituary said, but mm-hmm. I think she went by Dawn. Don Nicole was born July 13th, 1958 in Neosho. She graduated high school in 1976. And this is another reason why this case stands out to me because July 13th was my dad's birthday. Aww. So like I didn't realize that until I started researching yeah. and I was like, oh, I just like, I don't know, it hit me a little bit. Um, she was 47 at this time. She attended Crowder College. She worked at Walmart in Bentonville, Arkansas. For 17 years until July 2005. She lived a very Christian life, always putting others before her. Dawn was a devoted mother, daughter, sister, aunt, niece, cousin, and friend. People around Orly knew that knew him and that lived around him at his home had been trying to call him, but no one had been able to contact him. So his friends and relatives became concerned. September 30th in Pineville, Missouri, Orly McCool's nephew, Alan Sink, went over to his uncle's house to check in. He found the front door unlocked, and he walked inside. He discovered Orly's body directly inside the door. He called 911 immediately. As soon as police arrived, Allen informed them that his uncle's pickup truck was gone. Deputies from the McDonald County Sheriff's Department entered the house and found Orly dead from one single bullet to the temple. 
Dawn's body was found on the lower level of the steps of the basement. She had sustained multiple gunshot wounds. Her purse remained on her shoulder. In it, police found a receipt from the town and country supermarket, which was time-stamped 1.53 p.m. Thursday, September 29th. So, they were killed probably, like, the day before because they still Mm -hmm. had groceries in their hands. Considering Orly lived five miles from the grocery store, detectives conclude the murders took place sometime around 2 p.m. that day. Detectives found that there were several spent shell casings. They collected them later for analysis and started interviewing eyewitnesses. One of the individuals they interviewed was Shane Walters, who said that around 2 p.m. he noticed a man walking around Orly's residence. He informed them that the man looked strikingly similar to Scott King, a local resident, which is not good. Yeah, (laughs) definitely not good. (laughs) Walter knew that the King had sons, but did not know what they looked like. Scott King lived in Missouri, just miles away from Orly. Investigators were informed that on September 29th, the day Orly and Dawn had been murdered, Scott King reported that somebody robbed his house that same day. (laughs) King reported to the police that he had gotten several guns stolen, including a 9mm Smith & Wesson pistol. The sheriff's office put together that the possibility of one of the weapons that was stolen was the one that was used to do the murders. The sheriff's contacted Scott King and made an initial arrangements to search his, his house. So the sheriff's deputies arrived at King's house that afternoon. He showed the officers a spot by the door where he allowed his sons to shoot guns. They found a bunch of different casings on the floor. The casings appeared to match the ones detectives retrieved the morning from Orly's house. King stated that the casings were previously fired from a 9mm Smith & Wesson that had been stolen. Many, ca- many cases that were found were sent to the crime lab for ballistic comparison. I don't know how that works, but... Yeah. Later that day, King went to the sheriff's office to render a statement. Almost immediately, he told them that about his 23-year-old son, Levi King. Scott told the police that he had last seen Levi at 7 a.m. on September 29th. He took him to a bus stop so he could take a bus to Anderson. Levi got out of his dad's truck that morning and said he was going to the bathroom, but he never came back. Scott came up to the conclusion that Levi might not only have possessed the guns, but was possibly involved in the murder of some degree. Which is a lot for your dad to be saying, oh, I think he committed the murder. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, okay. At this point in the investigation for Pineville Police, they contacted Levi. I can't, no, it's it's the fact that I can't read. (laughs) Everybody makes mistakes. (laughs) Everybody has those days. (laughs) Me for the past, like, two weeks. (laughs) That's how I feel right now. (laughs) Okay. At this point in the investigation, I just clapped. I don't know why. Yeah, please start that. <laughs> At this point in the investigation, the Pineville police connected Levi to Orly and Don's murders because the bullet casings recovered from Orly McCool's home matched the casings at the house of Scott King. The casings they found at the McCool's house especially matched the 9mm Smith & Wesson pistol King had already reported stolen. I said that like three times now. <laughs> <laughs> On September 30th, the McDonald County Sheriff's Department issued an arrest warrant for Levi King who is wanted on suspicion of killing Orly and Don McCool. However, Levi King is nowhere to be found, and at this point, he had a 24-hour head start. So that's not looking good. Yeah, that is not looking good <laughs> It's at not all. looking good at all. The Pampa, Texas police still do not have any leads, so they are still in the dark of what was going on because they didn't know who had done this because they have no leads because nobody would want to hurt the, yeah. the Conrads. But now we're going to get into Levi King's life, I guess, because I guess I have to. Yeah. (laughs) The worst part of the stories are when we have to talk about their, like, 
their stories, yeah. like, their lives. <laughs> like, no, we want to hear about the victims. Yeah, I have <laughs> to talk. <laughs> I have to talk about it because it spreads awareness. Yeah. And you can feel bad for the kid, Levi. But Don't adult, feel bad yeah. for the adult. No. And this could have been prevented. But... I mean, I get, like, trauma, but trauma should not make you want to kill people. <laughs> I mean, I have... <laughs> I have trauma too. Me too. <laughs> I have Me so too. much trauma that I'm PTSD. <laughs> name it all. Like, but I don't want to kill anybody. No, <laughs> I just want to like smother people with love. Exactly. <laughs> I am too loving sometimes. <laughs> but okay, we're gonna get into the monster Levi King. If you haven't figured it out by now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Levi King was born, or if you want to say Levy, <laughs> Levy. Levi King was born in 1982 in the town of Pineville, Missouri. His parents divorced in 1987 when he was five years old. Then he lived with his dad only. His father, as, as you know by now, I said like five times, is Scott King, <laughs> raised, he, which he raised seven kids, which is a lot of kids to raise. But the next part, not so great. He raised them in the most rundown house ever. On the outside of town, there is no sewage, no electricity, no running water. Oh my gosh. And everywhere in the house was spent shell casings. Wow. One, how do you live without that stuff? Exactly. <laughs> I can't go. I feel like you can't. Like, I mean, that's crazy. it's a necessity to have all that stuff. It is. Um, anyway, the house had no rules. The kids could write on walls. They could get alcohol whenever they wanted when they were kids. Mm, red flag, red flag. <laughs> red flag, like times 20 yeah. by now. Red flag. The kids could write on walls. and they, I said that already. levi and his siblings lived in fear of their father who of which was also very unpredictable levi started showing signs of antisocial behaviors at a young age when he was four years old he set fire to his sister's curtains because he was upset with her oh red flag (laughs) add it to the list at that point you should have been like okay my son needs help yeah you think not (laughs) encourage it no his father forced him to shoot guns at his pets. Levi took after his father, Scott. They both were obsessed with weapons. His father had guns, swords, knives, and hatchets. Levi started drinking at age 11 and using drugs at 13, which all started because of his father. He encouraged it. Father of the Year Award. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> if you didn't catch our drift. Sarcasm. Okay. However, his siblings had not done what he has done. So blaming everything on what he has done on those, like, on those factors cannot be the reason. No. You just needed help. Yeah. (laughs) It may have helped it along, but it's not solely on those things. Because, like, his other siblings didn't do anything that he did. He turned out really bad and they turned out good. Mm -hmm. So, like, it just, you can't blame it on that. Yeah. No matter... Like, how much trauma you go through, you can always heal. You can always mm-hmm. do stuff. You can always turn your life around, you know? Like, you know, do stuff for the better, yeah. not be a bad person. Yeah. Moral of the story. Don't <laughs> be a bad person. <laughs> by the age 15, Levi dropped out of school, and by the age 17, he was committed to a mental institution. Levi's freefall continued, especially after the 2002 death of his brother, Spencer, who was fatally wounded inside the house with one of his father's guns. I didn't really get more into that, mm-hmm. um, so I'm not sure exactly what happened there. Yeah. Probably was, like, an accident or something. Anyway, it's still sad. Yeah. And I know death can make you be upset and everything, but don't spiral out of control. Yeah, don't do it. Um. Anyway, 
At the age of 20, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which again is not a reason or an excuse or anything to blame on because like you can get like medication for that. You you know, you have things to help you with that, you know, so you can't blame it all on that either. That same year, Levi was convicted of arson and burglary. I said it right. <gasps> Yay! You did it! <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Okay. After robbing a neighbor's house and setting it on fire. What's up with him in fire? Um, <laughs> like, what's up with fire? I, I just realized that. I was like, does he have, like, a fire obsession? Uh, I think he does. <laughs> he Isn't was, that a thing? Like, people who are obsessed I, with starting fires? I think that's a thing. I think it's, like, a... a I don't know what it's called. I don't but. know what it's called either, but it is a thing. Like, people can be, like, too in love Serial with it. Serial arsonist? I don't know. Something it's something like, like that. that. <laughs> we said that at the same we time. <laughs> wow. This is why we're besties. <laughs> <laughs> he was sentenced to 14 years in prison. Um, however, he got paroled after 17 months and sent to live in a halfway house. Which is not good. No. Don't, like, maybe you should live out that, that you know, sentence. There's a reason for yeah. it. Yeah. But anyway... <laughs> so levi was no stranger to the system police remained on the lookout for him levi stayed in i don't even know how to say that word he stayed in mexico because i don't know how to say that and i'm gonna mess it up he stayed in mexico he was starting to panic especially after he mistakenly exited off the main highway he decided to turn around still in orly's truck at this point because he stole it mm-hmm. oh, you could get that that gist now um he was heading toward the border patrol with no exits near in El Paso, Mexico, because I'm not saying that other word, <laughs> on September 30th, 2005, Levi drove across the Bridge of Americas and landed to get back into the United States. He pulled up to the Border Patrol agent at the U.S.-Mexico border, and he was clearly nervous, and was, when asked to hand over his ID, he ended up providing multiple IDs, including one that belonged to Brian Conrad. Well, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. The Border Patrol agent asked if he had any weapons, and then he said yes and was step- asked to step out of the car. Agents detained him and ex- escorted him to a private interview room. He answered all the questions with facts, but with little, very little emotion. He actually never asked why he was being detained. He just went along with it. Agents went to search the car and came up with an AK-47, a 9mm Smith & Weston, and a .380 scoped rifle I, I don't know how to read guns so i'm sorry if i'm saying that wrong also say you're guilty without saying you're guilty <laughs> yeah. not asking what you're getting detained for it's just like okay <laughs> um they discovered that the vehicle was registered to a mr and mrs orly mccool before long agents spotted something lodged between the seats they also discovered a missouri department of corrections id which linked him to being one of being none other than levi king the agents fingerprinted him and entered him into the into APHIS. It was confirmed that he was currently on suspicion for a double homicide. Once they found that information, they ended up handing him over to the El Paso police. At El Paso police headquarters, officers questioned Levi. Over the course of a 40-minute interview, Levi admitted that he had stolen guns from his father, killed the McCools, and used their truck to skip town. He was so calm and seemed like a no- normal person, but his looks were very deceiving. Levi said nothing about the murder at the Conrad's at the at their farmhouse. El Paso police took Levi and shipped him back to Missouri. At the Missouri police station, what? That's not what. That's not what that says. That's not what that says. Okay, we're just gonna 
make up some Water of the story again. here. <laughs> you make I didn't tell you I'm throwing a little bit of fiction in here. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This is all true. Just kidding. Based on a true story. <laughs> I did my re- I did so much research on this. This is a hundred percent true story. Like I did so much research and I'm actually very I don't want to say proud of myself yeah. for the research that I did, mm-hmm. but I'm just like, I really dove into this. Yeah. And I was just like, I can do this again. <laughs> like, <sighs> okay. As the Missouri police was able to lock in Levi as the killer of the McCools with his confession and the evidence they found, the Texas police were still get, were starting to get worried their investigation was going to go cold. And for weeks, they had no leads. Robin was afraid her family's killer was going to come back for her, which is so sad. Being that afraid. Is sad, yeah. She was so afraid. The detectives almost felt as if they weren't able to solve the case until none other than Levi King was being stupid, (laughs) but good thing he was being stupid. Levi King asked to speak to one of the deputies that he felt he befriended at the Missouri jail. They took King out of his cell into the outdoor exercise yard so that he could be more at ease talking to this deputy. Levi looks at him and states, you know, there's four more in Texas. Oh. Wow. Yeah. If you guys could see my face right now, I'm just like, <laughs> what the heck? I, I don't have the words to explain. <laughs> it's wow. It, yeah. That's all I could say is just wow. <laughs> so the deputy was obviously stunned, just like we were. Yeah. Well, Maddie was. I mean, I was kind of stunned too whenever I found out because I was like, what? Yeah. Like, you're really going to just like confess? Mm-hmm. Without even being asked. Oh, yeah. You know, there's four more over there. Why don't you go check them out? Like, all cool, calm, and collected. That's a little terrifying, but okay. What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? (laughs) Because this deputy was stunned because no one was asking him questions or looking for him for that crime. So why he confessed to him, he had no idea. But luckily, he did confess because otherwise, they probably would have never connected him to this. And Robin probably would still be living in fear. So... It's just crazy, but the police drew the conclusion that King believed he also killed 10-year-old Robin, which is why he says he killed four more in Texas, because he believed he killed her, because he did shoot Mm -hmm. into her room, but they missed her, which is very amazing. Yeah, it really is. They also confirmed that when Border Patrol searched his vehicle, that there was an AK-47, which matched at the scene in the Conrad home. Once the Gray County Sheriff sheriffs were informed about the ak-47 that in fact that fact that levi gave authorities brian conrad's id at the border they named levi king as the primary suspect in their triple homicide the question remains though who was levi king and what could have possibly driven him to the point where he was suspected of murdering five people in less than 24 hours this is what the texas police were thinking I mean, we already answered that question because yeah. he's crazy, <laughs> but that's what they were thinking because they were like, why would somebody from Missouri come to Texas mm-hmm. and kill a family that he doesn't even know? Yeah. Which is absolutely terrifying it and is. insane. But on October 19th, detectives received a phone call that there was a suspect in Missouri that had just admitted to killing a group of people in Texas. The police in Missouri told Gray County sheriffs that there was a suspect they have in custody named Levi King. And what happened during those murders is this. In Anderson, Missouri, on September 29, 2005, 70-year-old Orly McCool went to grocery shopping with his 47-year-old daughter-in-law, Dawn. Orly was an Army veteran and retired restaurant owner, which I already went over. 
his wife is out of town and he needed his daughter-in-law to help carry the groceries back into his house because you know he's a veteran so he needed help which is very nice of her to help him and then around 2 p.m don and orly head back home after finished grocery shopping don entered the house from the entry level and then started carrying the groceries down the stairs orly entered behind her they had no idea that there was an intruder hiding in Orly's office, which is was was bleh, which was off into the foyer. I'm not sure how the house was set up, but it was like off to the side. Mm-hmm. Um, then suddenly, a white male stepped from the closet and shot Orly in the side of the head. Orly was instantly killed. Dawn was still going down the stairs. Levi fired repeatedly down the stairs at Dawn. Levi shot until he was completely sure that they both were dead. As Levi King exited the house, he looked over and saw a set of keys by the flower box. He took the keys, which were to a 2005 Dodge Dakota, which was Orly's truck, so he left stealing the truck. Eventually, he decided to drive over 13 hours from Anderson all the way to a small town of Pampa in the Texas Panhandle. King pulled into into town off Highway 70 at 3.48 a.m., and he was feeling the urge to kill again. He saw a farmhouse down a country road... He decided this is where he was going to stop. He was armed with the AK-47. In Pampa, Texas, on September 30th, 2005, Levi broke into the farmhouse through a back door. 31-year-old Brian Conrad and 35-year-old Michelle, who was pregnant, were asleep in the master's bedroom. Michelle's two children from a previous marriage were also asleep in the bedrooms. That's why they have different last names, as you probably could tell at this point. (laughs) (laughs) So, Robin and Zach... Levi entered the bedroom where he found Brian and Michelle sleeping, and at this point, Michelle woke up from the noise. She started screaming. He fired six shots at Michelle, then five bullets into Brian. He also shot the family dog, Molly. That makes me so sad. That makes me sad. You don't have to hurt that animal. It didn't do anything to you. Exactly. You didn't it's have to do it. the most innocent thing and in the world. Have animals. have to do this like, to the family either. Exactly. And the baby who wasn't even born yet. Like, yeah. Babies like, and animals are just a no. Which. A no. Which the baby's name, since he was unborn, his yeah. name was Michael. Aw. It was spelled I M I K E L, which is really cool spelling for yeah. Michael. Aw. And then. Sad. Yeah. It's just so sad. And then I mean, to, anybody is a no, but babies and animals just really hit hard. Yeah. Because they're so, like, innocent. They've never done anything wrong. Because like, they're the purest form exactly. of anything yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's just really sad. I know. So down the hall, 10-year-old Robin heard her mother's screams and gunshots. And this is when she woke up from what she thought she was having was a nightmare, but it was actually real life. She crouched down and hid by the bathroom door. She saw the killer as he exited her parents' room. Robin began. Er, Robin ran to her bed and tried to hide underneath the covers. King went into her room and shot at her. He, filed, he fired a single shot, and the bullet only grazed her arm and leg. She grunted and fell to the floor and tried to play dead. She was basically very lifelessly still. The killer went into the other bedroom, then shot and killed her bro- 14-year-old brother, Zach. Believing all occupants were dead, he went downstairs and started going through the entire house. Upstairs, Robin listened intently. Being careful not to make a sound because she was terrified of what he would do, um, which still, again, is just amazing that she yeah. would be so able to, oh, jeez. The killer went into the kitchen, rummaged through the drawers, got something to eat, and then he ended up leaving the house. He got back into Orly's truck and headed south on Highway 70. When the sun rose at 7 a.m., Robin rose from the floor without go- getting it, without going into either of the rooms. She knew full well of what pro- she would probably find. And I'm so glad she didn't check I know, the rooms too. because yeah. 
that would be a terrifying sight. Mm-hmm. That would be so sad. Um, then she exited the home with her cordless phone in her hand, called 911 immediately. First responders arrived at 724 in the morning. They found Robin sitting on the tailgate of her stepfather's pickup truck. On September 23rd, 2005, Levi escaped the halfway house. Nobody reported him missing. He slept at his mother's house for five days. This was before the murders. Mm-hmm. Um, five days before. Uh, or actually, yeah, five days, right? No. Whatever, seven days. I don't know. I don't know. I broke five, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Levi's mother drove him back to his dad's. Levi and his dad became involved in an argument, and his father kicked him out of the house. And he states all of these things that he did, like killing those, I was going to try to count three, five individuals, mm-hmm. killing those five people, it was all because he was mad at his father. I can't even believe people. Yeah. All because you're upset with your father kicking you out of the house because you're not doing good in your life, you're going to go ahead and kill five people. I can't even wrap my head around the way people think. Like, wh- <laughs> I don't understand. Why? Just, what is wrong with you? Exactly. Like, what is wrong with What you? is wrong with you? Because there's something very there's wrong something with you. There's something very wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. In Pineville, Missouri, on October 6th, 2005, McDonald County Sheriff's detectives formally interviewed Levi about the murders of Orly and Don McCool. They asked him to retrace his steps after his father dropped him off at the bus stop. He stated that he walked back to Route 76 back to his father's house and slept in an old car parked outside. He waited for his father to drop off his younger siblings. He found the front door unlocked, and so he went into his... And so was his bedroom door. So he just went right in. Once he was in his room, he took a hatchet and hacked into his father's gun locker ammunition box, which took around 20 to 30 minutes. Levi took the 9mm scoped rifle, AK-47, and put them in a backpack. He didn't have a plan, but he was armed to the teeth and ready for anything. He left the house close to noon and took off through the woods, taking a shortcut. Levi left the two rifles and bag of ammunition stashed just off the road. Just off the road. I'm really stuttering today. (laughs) (laughs) I apologize for all my talking mishaps. He headed down the county road and walked on Route 71 with only the 9mm handgun. Levi observed Orly and Don leaving, and he decided he was going to break into their house. There was an open window leading into the master bedroom. He entered that window and began room by room, searching before they got back. He then, and then he found Orly's 380 lying next to the bed in the master bedroom, so he took Orly's gun. Suddenly, Levi heard sounds of people returning. He hid in the office closet. Don went by, and he let her pass. Orly came in, and then he shot him in the head. Levi was scared. I mean, you killed people. You're a terrible person. So yeah. You don't deserve to be scared. <laughs> he then you have no right. You yeah. have no right to be scared. Uh, he then aimed the gun down the stairs toward Dawn, who was still carrying groceries, and fired at her several times to make sure that he killed her. Levi fled the scene in Orly's truck, drove back to his father's house, and then retrieved the backpack of guns and hid in the woods nearby. He told police he had no, he had absolutely no justification for killing the McCools. He didn't know why he shot them. He just did. He was held without bail for murders. He then headed into Arkansas across (laughs) I-40, eventually going into Texas. 14 hours and 400 miles later, he invaded the home of the Conrads. In March 2006, Levi was indicted for two counts of murder in Missouri and three counts of murder in Texas. If convicted, he faced the 
the death penalty in Missouri and possibly another death sentence in Texas. Levi pled not guilty to all the charges, but prior to trial in 2008 of April, April of 2008, Missouri prosecutors took the death penalty off the table. <laughs> Levi then did plead guilty. In Waynesville, Missouri, on April 18, 2008, inside Pulaski County Court, Levi took stand during his sentencing hearing for the murders of the McCools. He, the fact that he was involved in drugs and childhood abuse and everything else, he waived all of that in his defense. Again, not a reason to say that it's okay for you to kill people. Yeah, no. Don't use that as excuses. Ever. He said, I'm not going to blame it on anything. I did it. I'm guilty. I'm responsible. Levi was subsequently sentenced to two life terms without the possibility of parole. In August 2008, Levi entered LeBaugh County Courthouse in Texas and pled not guilty to the murders of the Conrads. Then proceedings were delayed nearly 18 months. When the trial resumed, he pled guilty. And at this point, the jurors moved into the sentencing phase of the trial. The prosecution decided to seek the death penalty because of the excruciating effect that it had on Robin for her like seeing her family members yeah. like and hearing them like die levi admitted that he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia and said he was completely sane and mental co- mentally competent during the murders both sides gave opening statements then recounted the minute by minute events of september 30th 2005 king's attorney gave a long statement which counted which painted a picture of levi's childhood and said i was filled with anger despair and, and destruction Again, can't blame it on that. <laughs> exactly. <You> can't. <sighs> so many witnesses testified and were called to the stand, including the 911 dispatcher who had answered Robin's call that day and several Gray County deputies. Many of them were emotional testimonies and some of them even cried. Then they played the 911 call from Robin, who again was only 10 years old at this time. On the call, Robin was crying, screaming, saying she thinks her family has been shot and said how she played dead for hours until she was sure the attacker was gone. She said how scared she was and how she wanted her mom. I didn't play this part of the the call Mm -hmm. because it's even more heartbreaking because she was 10 years old and you could see that since she was 10, this this also was going through her mind. Yeah. She also said how she had a science fair that day and asked if she should get on the bus for school to go present it. Through the whole time the recording played, Levi King sat upright looked straight ahead of him with no emotion on his face however the the victims of the families were all crying and some had to even leave the courtroom to calm down it got even more intense when they shown the crime scene photos and videos many family members had to close their eyes the gray county da switzer shown over a hundred pictures of the crime scene 14 year old robin because she was 14 now at this Mm. trial the sole survivor survivor of Levi's rampage took the stand and recounted the details of their horrific night three years prior in which she had lost her entire family. She talked about how she miss, missed her father, mother, brother, and how she was still traumatized to this very day. She just broke down on the stand. As the trial progressed, Levi King's demeanor changed. As he looked around the courtroom, he smirked a few times, laughed, and joked with his attorneys. Wow. That just shows you right there what kind of person. I roll. Is. Insert eye roll here. (sighs) On October 5th, the jury began deliberating. To agree on the death penalty, the jury had to complete an agreement. Had to be completely agreed in, like, agreement. But one juror held out for more than seven hours and refused to vote for the death penalty. Okay. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Without a a unanimous vote, on October 6th, 2009 levi king received three life sentences without the possibility of parole i'm going to read some of what 
Robin had said, um, and it's kind of very long, so I'm, I, I really apologize. But I just feel like some of these things that she said, mm-hmm. I just have to say. Yeah. She said, and this is all in quotes, I was going to be sitting in front of a murderer who had killed my loved ones and to testify. I didn't want to, but I knew that I needed to for my family's sake. I was the only one that got to walk out of that house. They didn't, and they needed a voice too. And she said this about being there, um, which this is crazy. Um, but she said, and I quote, I tried to avoid looking at Levi King as long as I possibly could. And finally, I couldn't resist the urge anymore because I wanted to see who had actually done this. And so I looked at him and the stare I got back was the worst feeling of my entire life. He is very cold. He is very blank. And essentially, it felt like he was just staring right through me, like a hole right through me. And then she said this after um, everything happened and I put, I quote, the fear is still there and it's still very real. I hate being alone because I feel like that's when my mind wanders the most. And I think the worst thoughts of what if I could have done this or what if I could have done that, should I have gone and woke up Zach? And then she said again, I quote, I am very superstitious, I guess. The day that everything happened, I had on socks, I had on long sleeves and long pants. I will not sleep in long sleeves, long pants or socks now. I'll not sleep with my door open because I feel like there's a figure of a person standing in the doorway. I'm scared of the dark. When I walk into the house, I know that I'm there all by myself. I will go through every single nook and cranny in the house to make sure that there is no one else there. And then she goes to state that birthdays are really hard and all that stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. how like her mom's birthday and her birthday, she doesn't get to celebrate with them, which is very understandable. Um, But she also said, and I think this is the last quote, And I quote, I could honestly not tell you why I was left, why I was the only one that survived. I couldn't tell you whether it be I'm able to tell people that there's nothing that you can't get through. Maybe if I get married one day and have kids, it's it's to help my kids get through life or help people in the world. I don't know. I don't know my purpose is, but it's going to be great when it comes. So like, yeah, it's just amazing. Um, Robin has been very strong and super brave through this this whole entire traumatic event. She has ran track, played volleyball, basketball, and she was a cheerleader. She has a necklace that she has has since she was 10. It's a number 12. Number 12 was her brother's basketball number. She said that she does not take it off and she always wears it. Aww. So that's like really, really sweet that she like always Yeah, wears. it is. She even said that she's not taking it off for any reason. She's always going to have Aww. one. She has told people that there's nothing you can't get through because I just wrote, read that quote. Robin was pursuing her dream of nursing. She stated that she wanted to help babies. And this was from a documentary like a documentary that was from, like, 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she also said she has not... Birthdays are hardest for her. However, in the courtroom, she looked straight at straight at um, Levi King. And she told him that she forgave him. Oh, my gosh. Honestly, I don't know how people do that. Like, I do not have the willpower to, no. like, forgive somebody who hurt like my family like i would never i could I never know. oh my god you're gonna cry <laughs> <laughs> i'm so sorry oh i really got you <laughs> i'm so sorry okay oh i i'm really bad at this <laughs> i make people cry a lot. <laughs> but she does not let us keep her down and the really sweet part about all this is she invited chad brooks to her 16th birthday party and has a great relationship with him and says that when she hugs him it's like the same hug she got that day it's a safe place and this case moved me so much. We all need to remember Brian Conrad, Michelle Conrad, Zachary Doan, baby Michael Conrad, Orly McCool, Don McCool, and Robin Doan. They all matter. Aww. They're the things that matter in this case. Levi King can go. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I just felt like I had I had to talk about this because it really it really got me and yeah. just amazing how amazing Robin has mm-hmm. grown like amazing woman she has grown into. I think she's like 28 now. I couldn't find anything else about her. And which is good because she knows she wants to leave, like live a private yeah. life, which is good. But like, wow, she's just an amazing person. She is. Yeah. She's so amazing. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't, I've never heard of that case. That was yeah. that was a wild one. Yeah, because it's just crazy. Like he goes to Missouri, he kills mm-hmm. people there, and then oh, he goes crazy. to Texas, and then like two different state, two mm-hmm. completely different states, and that's just insane. It is. Um. But uh, let's let go of that sad case well not let go of it but wander away from it yeah um you can follow us on social media facebook instagram tiktok at dreadfully twisted podcast go to reddit to submit your stories at dreadfully twisted pod on reddit or email us or email us at dreadfully twisted podcast at gmail.com Send in your stories, whether it's true crime, spooky, because, you know, spooky season's coming. Spooky! Which I'm so excited for. I know. We want to hear your spooky stories. <laughs> Tell us your them. paranormal stories. If you have any lucid dreaming stories, yeah. send, send those send in. send in any story that you want um, us to talk about, because we love to hear them, so yeah, send I would, them in. I would love to read people's stories, because, like, <laughs> I just love that stuff. You know, and to uplift things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially after this doozy of a case. Um... And we hope you keep listening and we will see you guys next week and stay positive. Check on your friends. Don't be like Levi King or Levy. Do not (laughs) spiral downward and kill people ever. Yeah. If you feel like that, reach out to a friend. Please reach out. Please get yourself help. Reach out to a friend. They will help you. Yeah. Get the help you need and stay strong. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.